The first reading today is from Isaiah 43. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The second reading is from Mark 4. Listen to what the Spirit has to say to us today. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. God. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this story of faith, the words from Isaiah reminding us that you walk with us in those difficult places in life and also of Jesus being in the boat with the disciples, reminding them that risk is not done alone, that you are with us, even as we feel alone. And so help us today as we reflect on these words to be open to your spirit, speaking to each one of us a word of life, a word of love, a word of transformation. Amen. So today we continue the focus on this journey of Lent and looking at living the life God calls us to live. What does that mean for us to live the life God calls us to live? And today we're looking at being grounded and what that means in the life of faith. Because being grounded could, be, could mean a lot of different things for people in terms of being grounded in the safety of your possessions, being grounded in the safety of your fame, your power, your accomplishments, whatever it is that the world says to us uh, being grounded means uh, and, and promises us to feel safe if we have these different things that the world offers as an illusion for safety and for a sense of no uh, harm coming our way. But today we hope to reflect on something different. And thinking of this, this is a story that has a little bit of a challenge because on the one hand, it's telling us there is risk. On the other hand, it tells us, but Jesus is in the boat with you. So, so it's not saying, you know, just don't do anything risky in your life. 
but it's also saying you, if you do it, you know that Jesus is with you. So, so it's, it's a challenge for us because we want to think, you know, that God is with us, that, that, that faith is part of life, but also we know that harm comes our way, that the storms, no matter what we do, will come our way uh, in one way or, or another. And I want to help us focus that this peace with the sea uh, is really significant in the Bible. When we read about the sea, most of the encounters in the Bible show us that people of, uh, the people of Israel were afraid of the sea. They were land people. They were not people that liked going out on boats and, and seafaring. And actually, I just was uh, thinking of Paul when he was on a missionary journey and when he, there was a great storm. And if you uh, think of that risk for him because he was struggling, and there, of course, you could think of other stories. So sea is usually... Uh, a symbol of great fear for the people, great chaos, the unknown, but also a symbol of Rome. Rome was seen as controlling the sea, controlling uh, with their ships, with their power. And we know that those who control the sea control trade, control the ability of the people to, uh, to get out and to control the ability of people to be ruled freely. So Rome was seen as also symbolized by the sea. So all of the symbolism was going on for the people who were reading the story, the people who were experiencing the story. So there are several layers of meaning in, in this uh, story for us. So we approach it and we look and think, okay, what was going on for them? How were they feeling that Jesus would ask them to go to the other side? And as I was reflecting on this story, I thought of the children's movie recently, uh, Moana. Any of you have watched Moana? Okay. Valerie probably can tell us, can sing all the songs. <laughs> yes. So it's a great story about sea adventures. And this is a story of a, a girl who is, uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, and maybe Valerie would be more eloquent telling the story of the movie, but I'll, I'll try. So you could correct me if I miss uh, important parts. Uh, she's a, a Pacific Island uh, kind of girl, and she was, she was being groomed by her father to be uh, the chief of her people. The problem for the island is that they needed to move, but there was one rule. What was the rule, Valerie? Nobody leaves the island. You stay close because you're, what, what's uh, with the ocean? Danger. You go out there, you could die, so no way. And Moana felt called to go out into the sea and venture out and, and help her people because they, they had um, outfished the, the resources that were present. Their land was not producing much food, so they were really in a tough spot. But the father was always saying, you cannot go out. Even though the mother tried to explain to her, you know, your father lost a friend uh, at sea, and so that was the end of it for him, that he knew that there's great danger when you go out into the open ocean. But Moana feels the call, and then I love the spirit of her grandmother. The grandmother is a really important figure in the story because she encourages her to go out and to follow her heart and her call in life. Now, Moana faces great danger. It's not like she was gonna be, uh, things were gonna be okay, but she ends up helping her people. 
And I, I find that to be a really good parallel for the story in, in the Bible. It, it helps me see how these disciples were being called to go out to the other side. Now, what is the other side? The other side of the lake was the, the Gentile region. Now, Gentiles were the people who were on the other side of the faith, the, not the people of Israel, but the people that the, the Jewish people did not connect with. They were not supposed to be in ministry with them. These were not God's people as seen by the Jews, and mixing with them would have been not the greatest idea. So for Jesus to challenge the disciples to say, go to the other side. Imagine, this is not just go to the other side of the lake because we want to have ice cream on the other side. This is because we're going to enter into an area of ministry that's very, very risky for us, and we are going to be doing the work of the ministry of the kingdom of God in that region. Very tough for the disciples, yet they get in the boat. We don't know, it doesn't tell us you know, how they grumbled. But it, the symbolism of the story is really powerful. When they're on their way to the other side, all the fears come crashing down on them. There's this great windstorm, and they're terrified they were going to perish. And what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. How could you sleep in that? Who does that? And that's what they were feeling, like, how could you be sleeping while we're perishing? What, do you not care? Have you ever had times in your life when you said, where are you, God? <laughs> you don't care about what's happening to me. Look what's happened in Parkland, in places of deep suffering. Where are you? Wake up, help us, save us. We are perishing here. And so they wake him up, and then he gives them these words, peace be still, peace be still. And it's a powerful statement. I mean, when you think of, of that, peace be still. And these, of course, were words from Scripture that he was quoting. And then, then in verse 41, the reaction of the disciples is really interesting. The way we uh, have it translated in most Bibles is that they were filled with great awe. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? Like, oh, wow, Jesus, you're wonderful. Isn't that great? Wow, this is amazing. But a more accurate translation of the Greek is to say they feared a great fear. They feared a great fear. When this happened in front of them, they were terrified. That was their reaction. And isn't it curious? Now, for me, it was like, what? Why were they so afraid? Why would they be afraid of this transformation? And someone came to my rescue, uh, a man by the name of David Lowe's, uh, do, doing a reflection on the scripture, and he talks about why they were afraid, and he goes to a book, he quotes a book by Leif Enger called Peace Like a River. And in this book, he talks, uh, this, the author has narrators, uh, uh, Reuben Land, the narrator in the story, tells the apparent miracle of, by which his father saved his life when he was just born. Then reflects on how often we tend to domesticate miracles, using the word to describe all manner of things that merit our attention and appreciation but are not miracles. And then he goes on to press the distinction. He says, real miracle, miracles bother people like strange, sudden pains, unknown in medical literature. It's true, 
they, they rebut every rule we all good citizens find comfort in. Lazarus, obeying orders and climbing out of the grave, and now there is a miracle. And you can bet it upsets folks who were standing around at that time and, and for us today. So this is what um, he says. This is, I think, a very powerful statement, and it really struck me, and I hope that it will strike you in the same way to, to help you reflect on your, or your own sense of order and sense of uh, fear. People fear miracles because they fear being changed. Think about that. People fear miracles because they fear being changed. Now, at first you read this and you say, well, that's not true. I've been praying to be healed. I've been praying to um, be transformed by God. Why would I resist? But don't we resist? I always feel like, yes, yeah, I want to be loving, but I don't want to be that loving. I want to be caring, but not that caring. That hurts, you know, and I want to be safe, but not to risk my life and, and put everything on the line. And so he says, this is what David Lowe says. He says, this is another source of great awe and uh, the difference between awe and fear. And he says, make no mistake, Jesus is asking the disciples to change. In this very moment, he's drawing them from the familiar territory of Capernaum to the strange foreign land of the Gerasenes. And he's moving them from being fishermen to discipleship, to disciples. And he's preparing them to welcome a kingdom so very different from the one that expected or experienced before or wanted. So think about that. Most of us would not want that kind of transformation. We want Jesus to transform us, but not too much. We want to be familiar. And then one, one saying that comes to my mind often is that the devil you know. Why would we say that? Because it even though we know it's the devil, we don't want to deal with anything unknown. The unknown really scares us. We like to have a hold on what's coming next. We like uh, clear maps. We like directions. We like, uh, how many of you like your GPS, your phone and your GPS and all those things? Because they, feel, they make you feel grounded. You know, I know where I'm going. And even if I'm, I mess up, it says recalculating. Okay, good. I can't be ever really off the map where I may get lost in an, into an unsafe place. But faith requires that we let go of our hold uh, because most of the time it's, it's your ego. Your ego is at work who is really afraid of that change, who's afraid that if you let go of the way you are today, who knows what kind of person you're going to end up being. Who knows what the world would look like if we let a different way really to be uh, in existence. If we let something new to emerge, we don't know what it will look like. We can't guarantee the results. Even in church, we do the same thing. And I love that symbolism, a lot of uh, symbols for a church are a boat, a ship. If, you, if you've ever gone to several churches, they're, they're built as a ship. You know, just with that image to help people see that we're on a journey with God. And there isn't always the, the sense that we can control every aspect of it or that Jesus would not ask us to risk our safety, our sense of what we want to do in order to grow to fulfill the mission. Personal life, think about it for you. How would that look like in your life? If, you, if your image of your life is a boat instead of a fortress, 
I personally look and think, oh, a fortress sounds good. Castles and, and solid buildings make us feel like, okay, I'm safe. But a boat, I get seasick. I don't really enjoy being on boats very much because after, it's like it takes me about three, four days. Something is moving in my head, like there's water still in my head. So for most of us, and I will never, ever go on a cruise, I know that. <laughs> never happened, never will happen. It's just, it's, it's a very disorienting experience. But to think of your life in that metaphor of, of the boat and what that would look like for you to risk, to trust. Yes, there is risk and there's great danger, but also there's great transformation and promise and a fulfillment of who you are called to be as a person. And I love this Moana piece because imagine these people were supposed to be sea people, ocean people. They're, they're living on an island. They're so close to the water, yet they're so scared of the water. We're disciples of Jesus. We are living on the edge with Jesus. He, was, he risked it all. And yet, we feel a lot of times so scared of venturing out into the ocean that what if this, it destroys us? What if we become totally something new? What if I become a new creation, as 2 Corinthians 5 says? You are a new creation. The old is gone. Wait a second, but I loved some of this old stuff. And so today, I want to invite you to consider, what does that look like for you? And one thing that I shared in the first service, and someone added to it, and I, I'm glad that he helped me with this piece, was that the British uh, Navy has a, a, hab, or has a tradition or a practice when there is a disaster on board of a ship. What they do is they blow a still. It's, it's called the still whistle. A still whistle is supposed to help uh, the people just stay calm, quiet for a few moments before acting and reacting. Now, Jeff, you probably can tell us about staying calm and grounded in times of emergency. You know how significant that is. Because what happens if you go arrive at a fire and then the people are screaming, you, the firemen start screaming, who, who wins? If you lose your head in that, in that moment, then you, everything is lost. So we have to be grounded. We have to find that place. And that still is, uh, this is what uh, Tom Shubmel shared in the first service. He said, it's not only for them to calm down and react properly, but also so they could hear if there are commands. So they, otherwise, if they're screaming and running around, they wouldn't know how, what is supposed to happen next. So today I want to invite you to consider what is your still? What whistle do you blow to help you stay grounded in those times when you're on the sea and the life is, is turned upside down? You don't have the security you had before. By the way, security is always an illusion. Because it, how could we say that life is going to stay the same? Life is always changing. Our choice is to allow the change to be transformative or to allow it just to make us bitter and afraid. So that's the call today. Find what helps you feel grounded. Allow Christ to be your center. You're on the boat. You're changing. But allow Christ to be your guide in this. No, don't allow the, the fears 
and the noises of the world to tell you the agenda. The agenda is clear. Christ is with you, and he will guide you. And in this life and more, in the life to come, we know we'll be safe. But our focus and our first rule, and the, the most important rule, is to know that Christ is in the boat. Amen.